You're listening to The Razor's Edge. The Razor's Edge is an investing podcast. Your hosts are Akram's Razor, an investor and trader with decades of experience in markets, and me, Daniel Schwarzman, who has been focused on the market as a career for the past decade. We take investing ideas or themes we're interested in and break them down, or we speak with expert guests to get a wider understanding of a given topic. To get episodes of The Razor's Edge, subscribe to this podcast wherever you get podcasts. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts if you have a chance, or share this show with a friend. You can also check out our work on Seeking Alpha under our respective names, or reach us on Twitter at, at Daniel Shortman or at Akram's Razor. Our standard disclaimer and disclosure. The Razor's Edge is a Shortman Studios production. The views discussed belong to either Akram or me, respectively, or to our guests when we have them. Nothing on this podcast should be taken as investment advice. We'll disclose any positions in any stocks discussed at the end of the podcast or during our introduction to the given episode. We haven't covered artificial intelligence much on the razor's edge, but it's a theme that is only going to grow in market salience over the years to come. As machine learning and neural networks improve in dataset and computational quality and focus, public companies and startups that harness them are likely to solve a number of new, different problems. This week's guest has a front row seat to the spread in AI. May Habib is the founder and CEO of Writer, an AI business writing assistant. The company is itself a pivot from Cordova, which May founded as a localization play. She explains that pivot to us on today's episode and how AI has made localization a solved problem. She shares a little bit of Writer's secret sauce, takes us through the COVID effects on the company and its end market, and casts light on the startup funding market and where AI might go in the years to come. And given her background in wealth management and investment banking, we couldn't let her go without asking for her take on the markets, especially semiconductors and SaaS but also, of course, Twitter. We're thrilled to have our first female guest, but also our first baby voice, which adds weight to May's perspective on work from home. A couple quick things that came up that I want to flag before we get started. May and Akram refer to Grub with us, which has since become Goat, a sneaker marketplace, with Eddie Liu as the co-founder that comes up in this conversation. May at some point refers to Zendesk going from 50 million to a billion, that's in reference to annual revenue. And despite Akram's statements to May, nothing on this podcast is meant as investment advice. That's just a conversation between friends at that point. Disclosures I am long PagerDuty in Twitter. Akram is long PagerDuty in Twitter. And as you'll hear on the episode, May has positions in Zoom, Twitter, and Bitcoin. Okay, let's get into it. All right, May, welcome on to the Razor's Edge. Oh, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. If you hear a little baby in the background, um, that is my eight-week-old. So he <laughs> breathes loud. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the, the, we, the value of work from home and remote, remote everywhere. So we have some things we want to ask you about as far as writer, as far as the business, everything. But I guess just to sort of start off, what's like the two to three minute story about writer? Where are you guys? What are you focused on? What's the... Could you just explain the business a little bit? Yeah, totally. 
So we are a B2B SaaS company. Uh, what we sell is an AI writing system. The heart of it is an AI writing assistant that sits in your browser or Word and corrects your writing. And what makes it a system or a platform is that it's built for teams and for companies. And what they use the, the product to do on their end is kind of, you know, be an enforcer. So these are words that you cannot say. When you talk about the company, I need you to write about it in this way. And, you know, generally, when you need to make sure that folks are not misrepresenting the brand and are communicating in the ways that you want them to, whether it's one-on-one to a customer in a chat or an email or on the website or in a document, we give them that kind of governance solution to, to do that. So um, customers really run the gamut from Fortune 100 companies to professional writers who are using it for their own purposes. And that certainly presents, you know, interesting go-to-market challenges, um, uh, which have been fun to work on. But you know, that has been the last couple of years, and we're a pivot, by the way, and I'll let you talk about that. But the last couple of years have been really about perfecting the suggestions that come out of the AI and really making decisions on the domains that we care about, because that is what determines, you know, what data and what data sets you train your machine learning algorithms on. It's been really fun. We're based in San Francisco. We just hired our first person in London. So we are now digital first or online first, but our office is still here and the bulk of the team is still in the Bay Area. So when you're selling or, you know, we may, maybe we'll get into go to market stuff later. I've heard you talk about that on some podcasts, but the who in the organization are you most targeted towards? Is it more, more of a marketing and outward facing part of the organization or are you finding, I'm just curious, like where in the business, where it, with your companies are you selling into generally? Who's using the product? So right now we are focused on, in, on creating awareness in essentially mid-market tech companies. And there it is on marketing and customer uh, support or success teams. We are bottoms up. And so we don't actually reach out to any companies. The, the inbound model has really been effective at driving um, the type of companies that we want to be in the product right now from mostly, you know, mid-market and enterprise tech companies. So the result is, you know, customers like Twitter and Intuit, UiPath, Build.com, um, Squarespace, Pinterest, and when a end user finds value, you know, the team can find value. Um, and then we are able to either, if it's proactive, certainly, um, you know, folks have put up their hands to talk to us. But uh, inbound allows us to say, oh, okay, well, there are now five users at Zendesk or 10 users at Zendesk. Let's, uh, let's reach out to this manager who probably manages them, who may not be a user. So it's kind of like a hybrid approach. You know, I think the earlier class of SaaS companies kind of had to choose one or the other. I think there's a lot more understanding now of how both of these segments bottoms up and let's call it N plus one. I think if if your manager go-to-market is actually more than one or two layers from the end user of the product, hybrid doesn't work. But, you know, I think the Atlassian model is an interesting one where... The manager who you know can sign off on the enterprise pricing version of the product manages the people who are actually in the product already or using it already, and that is uh, that's kind of the model that we're following. Yeah, we talk obviously we talk a lot about Atlassian. Also, Slack is the one that I think comes up a lot where you get in with the developers and then all of a sudden it becomes a broader organization thing. And that sounds 
here it's you get in with the marketing team or whoever is writing and then all of a sudden it's something that you can land and expand sort of yeah but you know land land and expand i think like there are caveats you know you can't really expand if the person who would do the expanding sits too far removed from the people who are using the product day to day. And I think that was kind of our learning very early on. And then I saw it kind of validated by seeing what other people do. But yeah, I mean, this is a very different model for us. The last business that we pivoted from, um, you know, we sold to directors and then they kind of pushed the product out. So Bottoms up is definitely a much faster way to, to grow and you know, just a more cash efficient business model. The, the shift, because so my understanding of the business is that it used to be called Cordoba and you changed that this year or excuse me, last year, 2020 at some point. And it used to be more of a translation localization product, helping people make sure that their software was available in different languages around the world. And correct me if I got that wrong, but then also, I also from listening to your interviews, the COVID period also seemed like it had an impact on your go-to-market strategy. So were those two separate things? Were you guys sort of pivoting and realizing that you needed to shift your product focus and you also needed to adjust to COVID? Or was there some sort of confluence between what happened last year and which, where you've gone with the business. Yeah, it's, uh, it's an interesting story. So the initial shift had nothing to do with, with COVID. Um, I think the team and the vision kind of was constrained by the market that we're in. And it's all about the market, um, all about the market. And the localization market that we were in, um, we, we had tried to find an adjacency from a go-to-market perspective by going after um, people who wrote copy in English as a way to broaden the, the scope of what our product could do and really kind of go up market in the organization. The, the, the constraining thing about localization software is just how much services um, people really demand. People kind of want a black box solution. They don't really care to manage things themselves. And that was you know something we realized really in 2017, 2018, but couldn't do very much about until you know, we basically made the decision to exit the business entirely. So there was sort of like this micro pivot into what we called strings management. And, and that was pretty successful, actually. Um, you know, we were able to transition our revenue to, let's call it English authoring, right? Where there was just more money in that. And um, the decision makers were, were like right there, right? We're, we're in the valley and this is where that stuff was getting done. And then the, 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 really the burn the boats moment did happen with COVID. Um, but the, the product shift happened a year before that. We just started building a completely new product for a completely new market, <laughs> the AI writing assistance so, space. So there was, would you say from, like the, from the advantage of having done translation with Cordoba initially, like does that play into the developing the AI? So it allowed us to build just expertise in the intersection of AI and NLP for sure. But the models that we use, I mean, like it was completely, everything's completely different. Okay. Uh, but the the discipline of the pipeline, right, for building machine learning based technology and products like that was certainly laid out there. The, the discipline and the experience of building, you know, B2B enterprise software where collaboration is a big part of it, where security is a big part of it. Certainly, you know, all of that was relevant and, and some of it re 
purpose, but it, it wasn't essentially, it was a completely different product for completely different market, completely different buyer. Now, the thing that we did was we kept the name. We changed the name once, you know, we got to a certain scale and we're like, okay, you know, I didn't want to bother changing a name until there was a there there. And so that's why we did that this summer. But the, the, the interesting thing as we transitioned is, you know, we still did an outbound approach. So when we sold localization and strings management, we were outbound sales focused and that's kind of nice because you can send a bunch of emails and get a bunch of meetings the next day, the next week. And those were people that, um, you know, needed to use the product and we had great conversion. And so that model worked for that business. But for this new product, it was just very limiting to sell in that way. And so I think had COVID not um, meant that we, you know, I mean, especially in March, like we all thought we were looking at potentially a full year of devastation ended up only really being a couple of months, but that forced us to choose a strategy. And so we, you know, we eliminated a third of the company, basically everyone who was involved in, in sales and marketing and, and marketing, you know, when you're marketing for an outbound sales machine, then that's a very different kind of marketer too. And so we, you know, we, we completely focused on product and, you know, building from the ground up an inbound machine. And, you know, we went from literally like crickets on our website. It doesn't really matter, right? When you're outbound, what your SEO or site is like to, you know, 100,000 visitors uh, a month. Great one, great conversion rate. And we'll be at probably a million visitors in the next couple of months at the rate that we're going. 10 million by the end of the year. So, you know, there is... We've got a... Um, a product with a really wide appeal, which is excellent and means that you can kind of create a really compelling organic and inbound machine around. So that's what we did. And so COVID ended up being a great accelerant. I mean, I wish I had. Oh, had the- there you go. You used it. What? Accelerate. Oh, I said accelerant. Accelerant. Okay. That's a good point. Good point. Good. You got me there. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, I, I wish I'd burned the boats, you know, a year prior, but it is, it's hard to make such a drastic shift in product and business model and go to market. So it took kind of COVID to- I mean, you pivoted forward. though. I mean, like you went from Dubai to San Francisco from translation to this. I mean, background wise, May, I don't know if you know that, uh, I mean, Daniel actually was at Seeking Alpha. So on the writing side, you know, we actually, oh, awesome. we, know, we know each other from initially meeting with me writing articles and he's running the, the marketplace there. But I don't know if Seeking Alpha uses writer. Maybe you got Daniel, you yeah, should make yeah, an intro yeah. to them. Yeah. I, I can bring I can definitely make an intro. They where our content QA team would occasionally point out, uh, which I know you have mentioned quite a bit on your website, and anybody who's seen YouTube would have been aware of Grammarly. But that's I think that's like a, it seems like the differentiation for you guys. And I guess this is where I'm curious where this ha- where this is on the AI side is, and you guys have a as I was preparing for this, you guys have a great sort of history of writing assistance piece on your speaking of inbound marketing on your website. But Gmail is suggesting how to respond to emails. LinkedIn is res- you know those are obviously more trivial. But I'm curious when you're trying to differentiate your your NLP and your AI and all those you know natural language processing neural networks, artificial intelligence, all those buzzwords, like how are you, what goes into it to actually make, like, how are you trying to build an advantage there beyond the positioning around style and around company branding and whatever else? Like what actually, 
how do you guys kind of try to build that on a go forward well, basis? You're asking her what is her secret sauce? Not, <laughs> not, not the secrets, but like what? What's the thought process? What's the like? How do you think yeah, about so, that? So the the vision is that companies need a intelligence that sits above and between layers. So we've got folks who you know use our product to tell writers what they should or should not be doing while they're doing it in you know a gather content or an AEM or a WordPress. And so it is and and this is where I think you know the future of work like I hate that phrase but the ability for folks to or AI like you know let's let's it's it's because it's both rules based you know this is what I need to happen and then AI based here's what writer thinks will do better for what we think you're writing and on the site you're doing it for the the future of work is in, at the moment, intelligence while you're doing your thing. And that's why the Gmail autocompletes are so effective. And what we can do better than anybody else is tell you what a company X thinks is good writing in this tool that you're using, because there are other people in your company who have uh, written there and we've corrected their language. And here's what we think the sentence should end up being. So autocomplete everywhere is is you know definitely where where we're going and the awareness to know that you know you are writing a uh, landing page in HubSpot that's really our our secret sauce um and a consumer product that's you know half a bill in revenue with kind of ESL content etc i mean you know you can build lots of different business models when you are that size um but the the B2C play is very much a different, a, a different, a different beast. So we can be much more customized, you know, not just to the B two B world, um, which our data sets derive its its data from, but specifically, hey, you are Twitter, you are UiPath, you are Intuit. Here's how people write at your company. And you do have, I mean, it's like a total secular tail, tailwind right now for that. I mean, I was just thinking about it once I started understanding what you pivoted to. Uh, and I, when I was looking at it and listening to with like COVID, brand safety, politics, all that stuff, cancel culture, et cetera. And brands want to be associated with X, Y, and Z. And when I think about, we started this thing, this journey with uh, bringing some people on this podcast on the startup side with, uh, with Raul at Superhuman. So Daniel, with you mentioning you know, autocomplete. And when I think about when I like, you know, as like when I signed up for superhuman to just get more efficient and save time and how the shortcuts work and that like the, the concept of this remote work, work from home uh, in the moment, real time, it does kind of resonate with, with adding a writing assistant. I, I, I think several, several things would benefit from it. And now you have journalists kind of going out on their own, right? The Substacker. Yeah. It's 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 definitely you're always one step ahead of the game, eh? <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, I think for me as an entrepreneur, like my own personal journey has really been kind of a search for a market, like the market, and I, I think that's why we're seeing like such crazy rounds so much earlier than um, we had been in B two B SaaS because so much of the company building there are playbooks for now, and it's almost a foregone conclusion that if you can get product market fit in a niche that is, you know, where you can point to, you know, how and why this becomes a multi-billion dollar market. 
then it's, you know, you should be investing at any valuation, um, even if the company is quite small. And that's been really interesting and exciting. It does mean as an entrepreneur kind of calling it when you don't think what you're working on can be that big. And just, you know, I've been lucky to be supported by, um, you know, investors who are like, well, yeah, we're hiring you to, you know, play. Well, Upfront Ventures is, is, is who led you around, right? Yeah. So, I mean, if you want to give them a little background on that, which I thought was part of part of the trigger, by the way, Daniel and May was the the Grubhub, Grub with us, Grub with us. I don't know if you remember, but I was pitching the Grub with us clone in Dubai. Oh, nice. <laughs> you don't remember like 2013 after it came out of Y Combinator. I was just like to uh, as we uh, let's just call it the uh, monster dot com of, of that region. And I sat in a meeting and I pitched cloning Grub with us <laughs> after they cloned a certain Groupon. Right. Yeah. And it's crazy that uh, I had no idea that that had ended up pivoting to. Goat. Goat. So when I'd read in defense yeah. of the pivot and then I saw you guys, I was like, well, I mean, I, you know, I get it. Yeah. Well, Eddie, Eddie actually, because he's in the portfolio, I actually did reach out to him um, at the pivot because, you know, all sorts of everything from cap table to next round, you know, you've got to consider everything. And you know, I don't think he'd mind me sharing this, but every round has gotten obviously like subsequently so much like orders of magnitude easier for, for them. Uh, but, you know, it's, it, it just takes a lot of courage. And I think it takes investors who um, are okay with, who, who are patient. And I think you actually have to have had a reasonable amount of success and seen other teams really benefit from focusing on the product um, before they focused on growth. So, you know, that's not every investor. But yeah, in defense of the pivot. Totally. And, uh, by the way, and, and you know, we had Rami on recently, and I mean, they pivoted from friendshipping, so it's a lot of pivoting going on. Yeah, totally. I love what he's doing. I still think Grub with us was was born to be an expat city startup. I, I, yeah, I, I, yeah. I, I'm I'm still confident I was on the right idea there. <laughs> oh, a lot of this stuff is, you know, ahead of. Uh, you got to get the timing right. I have a friend who did a mental health um, startup and then shuttered it. And then, you know, now there are multiple ones that, it's you know, most of people, yeah, <laughs> exactly. You just needed to wait for, you know, a worldwide pandemic. <laughs> that's, that's yes. Print, print a lot of money too. That's, that's nice. That'll help rounds. Were you actually yeah. thinking that we'd be talking on alphabets back soup by this time this year, where you were last year? I mean, that's all it's all, it's, it's been an interesting thing to talk to founders where, you, I mean, you just said that, you know, you, you had shuttered marketing, you're changing directions. I listened to your, your podcast where you're talking about, you know, hunkering down and, and the mindset, like, has that, like, do you feel like this was like when you did all this a, a year ago, does that feel like 10 years ago now? Oh yeah. I mean, the, you, you work really hard to get to a state where your business changes so much week over week, you know, like that's, that's a good place to be. It means shit's accelerating. Um, and it's hard to predict, you know, where it's going because it's accelerating. And, you know, before you get there, everything feels like um, just putting one foot in front of the other. And so, you know, at the beginning of COVID, it was just, yeah, let's just put one foot in front of the other. So in a lot of ways, just, just this, it was a godsend, truly. Um, it's allowed the whole team to... The other thing that um, 
remote first does is it mandates that you clarify strategy and changes in strategy. And so, you know, what felt like nice to have last year, you know, is now must have. And so, you know, whether that's a Google sheet with like every metric that you're sharing, that you're tracking week over week, shared with the entire company, however that like shows up for you, I do think when you go to remote only, we call it online only. Remote has like this negative connotation, I think. But it, it forces a lot of that clarity, which is so important in the early days of a, of a startup. Well, and it also would seem to put, we talked about the one tailwind with the creator economy, essentially with Substack, with everybody else. Mm-hmm. And we're all trying to promote and figure out how to get people in, to listen to us, to read us, whatever. Then you have the the inbound marketing boom, which I don't I, I trace that back to I'm not learned on this, but I, HubSpot seems to me was a leader in that. And now, you know, that's become your go-to-market strategy or you know, or marketing strategy. Inbound is a big thing. And so everybody's trying to play SEO and trying to figure out that. And then a third tailwind, but which I'm curious what your outlook is for all of these, but this one seems the most potentially short term is the being online first or online only places all that much more importance on written communication, especially with Zoom fatigue, especially with everything else. And, you know, I, I listened to I forget which one it was, but you did a podcast where you talked about the corrosive effects of language when we're not for on minorities and that sort of thing. but. Like, what are you seeing as far as is written communication? Like, do you think that's going to recede a little bit once we get back to a post COVID vaccine back in the office sort of world? Or like, what's your sort of, how are you positioning in terms of thinking about that, both for your business and just your, your market, the post COVID world? So very soon there are going to be a billion knowledge workers and there's going to be a billion in the next couple of years. There's going to be 2 billion in the next 10. And whether it's actually text that you type out or what you communicate ends up living as text, there's no question in my mind that the the mediums are actually merging. And the asynchronous nature of it means that it's saved as text somewhere. And where we intersect is in both the kind of one-on-one communication before you've said the thing or written the thing, making sure you know how you how it's going to land, um, and that that gets to our healthy communication product that you know I've been talking about a little bit. It's still in beta; it's not even anywhere on our site. But some really incredible, you know, Fortune ten brands are using it internally right now to make sure that. People are not being passive aggressive to each other internally that, you know, basically, hey, you're about to be a dickhead. It's okay to press enter, but just know you're about to be a dickhead. <laughs> and that I that's, think, a, that's, by the way, a great prompt. I mean, right? <laughs> I, I, hope, I hope you're using it, that exact prompt. Well, yeah, we can't use the language that, uh, you know, we're, yeah. we're trying I mean, that's, to. That, that probably wouldn't be brand safe, but. <laughs> exactly. So there's there's the, the, the kind of one-to-one communication or kind of your trusted network communication because no one would ever even try to write that to a customer. Um, then there's there's your one-to-many type of writing and type of communication. And a different set of prompts is required for that kind of communication. 
absolutely. Like the tailwinds are enormous. And in so many ways, the, the market is, is in its infancy. I mean, there are going to be 100 competitors in the next five years. So it's exciting to be where we're at. I'm excited, actually, to you know go out and raise probably in another quarter or so. We don't need to for a little while, but I think it's a fun story to tell. And, you know, not I mean, all of them, but... Strike while the iron is hot. <laughs> well, That's, you know, it's only getting hotter. I hear you on that. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm saying, I, like, yeah. you have you have every tailwind possible. So, us, I right. mean, like, what, yeah. why not? Yeah, totally. It's it's fun to get feedback on your thinking too. I mean, so much of so much of what I think makes VCs valuable is just that they see a lot of companies every day. That they have other uh, friends, and they have other friends. <laughs> <laughs> So much that of what makes VCs valuable feels like a contradiction in terms. Well, maybe the implication. Yeah, exactly. I poke my VC friends a lot these days because it's just, they're pokeable right now. Yeah. May, I have a question just on the, it's maybe not as central to the business story or whatever, but I'm curious what your perspective, given you came from starting with Cordoba, more localization, and maybe that, maybe I like, overestimating the way you come about localization, but what is, what is your pivot or what are you, your perspective on the role of the English language at this point? And just the, is it, are, are all these AI softwares, obviously English is the international business language, but does this AI stuff kind of almost reinforce that and just kind of everybody is going to Google translate is getting better and better and everything else. like. Are you seeing that reinforcing to where everybody's going to have to speak English one way or the other anyway, and this is just going to kind of give people a leg up? Or is that less of a focus for you guys or for your thought process? Yeah, I think, you know, one um, one thing that we never did was kind of set forth what our position was on, on localization when we pivoted. And the our, our position is that it's a solved problem. AI has won. And the the industry hasn't realized that yet, perhaps. Well, for sure. And again, you know, this was perhaps us being a little bit ahead of our time, uh, but it was really hard to get people to to buy machine learning based translation solutions. And they are really fucking good. <laughs> So, yeah. you know, and then the other the, the the other thing for us was, okay, if we're going to push this rock uphill, what's what's waiting for us on the other side? And it, it's going to be highly commoditized. Now, we now, ironically, well, maybe it's not ironic, actually, it makes sense, but we get tons of requests for getting writer into other languages. So, you know, when AI takes over and autocomplete is everywhere, it's the governance solution that's going to be required at a company level, right? So are people completing what I want them to complete, right? Are they saying what I need them to say? And that that's where that's where we come in. So in a lot of ways, we I hope we've like AI proofed. Doesn't matter if actually even all your content is auto-generated. You're going to need standards. Um, and that's the intelligence between products that I'm that I'm talking about. Yeah, that as a lover of languages, it kind of, I don't know if sad's the right word, but I'm always like worried, you know, it's what is the, that sort of what, is, what are the machines going to do better than us and that sort of thing. And I guess the last 
thing on my mind. It's everything, just- everything, Daniel, everything. <laughs> Daniel, don't be sad. Poetry will continue to be poetry. And if you're, if you're, well, I mean, she proved, that girl proved it at the inauguration. Right. Sorry. Yes. Amanda Gorman. Words matter. Yeah, no, I know. I, and I'm being, I'm um, being a little bit modeling, but yeah, uh, <laughs> you, you, you were, I think before, <laughs> like your product is the way you're telling the story. Your product is not meant to be, you know, and I also worked as an editor before I got to the more business side on Seeking Alpha. Your argument is that this is going to be an additive tool to companies. And maybe you get a little bit more out of individuals in terms of their writing, but it's not, it's not like an AI. It's not an automation play. It's definitely a supplementary piece to the puzzle. Is that, is that, or- yeah. And I mean, not, not natural language generation models, you know, whether it's open AI or what, sorry, that's kid number two screaming there, or, or what Google just announced. They're, they're not revision models, right? They're generation models based on prompts. And, and so even at 10x their power, the thing that they're going to be really good at is, you know, narrow applications of content creation that, you know, we're not so hard to begin with. The thing that doesn't go away is the editorial lens, the strategy. And so even when we take over for, you know, a copy editor applying AP style to a doc, you know, that editor would have way prefer to be spending their time re-architecting the article anyway. And that's not anything that, you know, AI can do now or will be able to do for the next five years, I think. So I, I had a customer the other day putting together like an ROI deck for management. And, and she was like, oh, can you just real quick tell me at your other customers, how many copy editors does writer replace? And I was like, none. You know how hard it is to hire a copy editor? Like you do not want to fire them right now. Uh, or ever. And what we do is make them way more productive, way more impactful. The things that are repetitive or annoying, push that down to the writer, have it seem and be just very seamless with their workflow for them to accept those corrections so that you can focus on higher level stuff. And, and that's what's great about AI. Just focus on higher level stuff. I don't need to be writing. Um, this is what I love about Gmail's autocomplete. You know, all these niceties everywhere become you know, very simple to insert. Save her time. Save her time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's what you're saying, right. It's yeah. consistent with superhuman. Save me time. I need to. I need to go somewhere else with it. Yeah. All right. I know you're on the clock, but we wanted to ask you some other stuff. Uh, May's background is uh, she was a, a software banker. You did work at a semiconductor investment arm of a sovereign fund. So. Yeah. Have you been paying attention to any of these things going on in the markets with respect Absolutely. to? And, you know, I am, um, it's just so nice to be right, you know, <laughs> <laughs> although I got to say, you know, the Intel so just the last a, year, I would a not little have context here. That. She invested in, in AMD. And by the way, I used to give them a hard time about that when I thought they should have maybe invested in, in ARM holdings around that time. Well, we did that as well. <laughs> later it's not it's nice to have unlimited resources absolutely yeah although um you know we we sold too early i mean there was a great return on amd but not as not as huge as it could have been and software what do you think is it multiple expansion for forever oh yeah uh, do you think it's going to be more difficult down the road competitively speaking as you guys as different companies automate different things and butt heads Oh, I, I think um, 
to me, what's happening in, in SaaS is actually quite rational. Like since I started my journey, Zendesk has gone from 50 mil to a bill. I mean, I, I just would never have guessed what seemed like, you know, so quote unquote niche, right? Could be so massive a business, but, and, and we're still like single digits penetrated in some of these markets. So it's a really exciting time. Yeah. I mean, as, as crazy as it seems, I think the multiples do make sense. And the earlier stage pre-IPO, you know, the, the craziness that we're seeing, I think is, is as a result of what I said earlier, that the scale up piece, like there are playbooks, people understand how that works now. And so getting in on deals at any price, once it feels like it's inevitable, right? Before it actually is inevitable, but when it feels like it's inevitable, um, that's why we're seeing this crazy hot market right now. You don't think that, you know, a lot of the the rationale behind, let's call it a lot of investments in these spaces tends to be predicated on winner take all. Yeah. And like you said, if it's winner take all, the getting focused on valuation, as you as you pointed out, is but short-sighted at best, let's call it, right? But if you do get into this situation where you start having a dozen names, like when I look at SaaS and having been long short on both ends, I see the sector today where my comp stack, like, I don't know, five years ago was seven companies maybe. Mm, wow. And na- now it's like a hundred. Yeah. Right. Wow. So like, is everything a service or is it really software, right? When you get into like, how do we differentiate it? You know, I mean, when, when, when you're really close to the user, like we are, it is software, right? So I think you could probably guess whether it's software or software as a service, depending on the ACV, (laughs) you know, maybe ACV is not the right measure. Maybe it's how much a customer is paying per user. And the lower it is, I think the closer it is to actual software. Good answer. Outside of maybe security, because I don't really know that much about it. (laughs) That's my caveat. (laughs) Neither do I. Well, I hope you have a good security guy. Yeah, we do. We have a great one. All right. That's good. Those are good ads. Okay. And last question, I guess, work from home post COVID. Do you see, I mean, Daniel kind of hinted at it too. Uh, uh, Are you in the camp of a swing back? Like you're out there in San Francisco. I'm assuming you're not moving to Miami. No. (laughs) Okay. So you haven't Um, hopped onto that bandwagon. No, because I like being on a bathing suit and boats make me queasy you know like i'm just not a i think if you I mean, like you, I mean, on the you did water, live in dubai like, so <laughs> i know i didn't do very many very much of those things no i i'm a um i'm working from home for as long as i have young children <laughs> and i think that has been an eye-opener that i just would never have foreseen you know i was with my first in the office 12 hours a day and he was basically with nannies for the first year of his life and I just didn't think it could be done any other way. And now my life is so much better. So, you know, I, but I think I'm an anomaly on that from a founder's perspective. Most of my founder friends in the Bay Area, you know, want to do some kind of hybrid. Now we're not getting rid of our office anytime soon, but I think it'll be more of a, let's meet for lunch at the office. Let's meet at the office and go for a walk. You know, let's brainstorm at the office and let's celebrate at the office, much less let's work at the office. Interesting. That's like, you know, we're flipping the equation there. And do you think that there'll be a post-COVID hangover per se? From, oh, yeah. I you think, know, um, 
yeah, I think people are going to get drunk in large groups much more than they did pre-COVID. <laughs> I meant I meant economic I meant economic oh. hangover, but yes, it's a more literal <laughs> hangover. In terms in terms of everything that let's say got accelerated under COVID, Zoom, for example, you know, this time next year. Well, I sure hope not because I went big on Zoom. So. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, if you did that, you shouldn't be complaining. Yeah, I'm not. It was great. It pays for this childcare. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I wish I'd like sold everything I own and made that bet. Yeah, I think um, my my guess is there are so many people writing checks with very little diligence. And I think people who didn't do very much diligence who maybe may post-COVID realize that the companies may not have actually had product market fit. I, I could see that happening earlier stage for sure. I, I, I mean, uh, people are busier than they've ever been. I get. Yeah, I mean, you get you get my dynamic. We go from like the you know the the WeWork kind of panic attack of like you know fall of 2019 to this pandemic like to the month. <laughs> yeah, exactly yeah. to like I'm going I'm to I'm literally IPO in the alphabet. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, I think it's inevitable a little bit just because of human psychology to go all out and then retreat, go all out and retreat. Um, but I don't know if there's anything like secular I'd be too worried about. Okay, good. we got you on record there. And a Zoom bowl, which I like. <laughs> were you a Slack bowl? You know, we were very big Slack bowls on here. We're actually extremely big what? Twitter bowls if you're looking to, to really <laughs> knock it out of the park. Buy, your, buy some Twitter, buy a lot of Twitter. Load up on Twitter. I'm, I was very bullish on Slack, did very well. Kept buying, buying, even as they dipped. So I was very happy with that outcome. Although I, I think I think they should have stayed the course. Oh, well, um, I mean, you understand that that was, uh, you know, not a consensual view. I mean, with Slack and PagerDuty, which we, we both been have been very big focused topics on here. I don't know if you've listened to any I'm of it. I'm not in but, PagerDuty. What, what do you guys think? Are you short or long PagerDuty? Well, I was short. When it IPO'd, but then I, I was we, we've been notable PagerDuty bulls. We okay, like the CEO. Nice. We like what she's been able to do. We were skeptical initially because we we have had some concerns initially around Atlassian competition was actually part of the, the core short thesis. Yeah. But no, I mean it's second order digitization. As more complicated your SaaS infrastructure gets, people don't want to replace it, and like that was that I started discovering that probably I'd say as I look closely and. End of last end of last year end of 2019 early to uh, 2020 pre COVID, so Slack and PagerDuty kind of had similar things right. Slack had the Microsoft Teams, which persisted more. PagerDuty I think has really gotten past that. It's just been very enterprise driven and like I don't know. There's nobody wants to rip out their fire alarm right now. They have w way too many yeah. other things to focus on. Yeah, I think that's true. I don't know if you do you use any of these products. What like what's critical for you guys? No, we don't use PagerDuty. We use um, a competitor. Oh, yeah, that, that might be interesting. Like, just come, 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 see our stock <laughs> as a. Um, I mean, stack investing has been, you know, has been a choice type of thing. So yeah, the Atlassian Ops Genie. I'm, I'm, I assume you guys have Jira. Okay, you're using Datadog with their monitoring solution. We so we spent a lot of time there. Did yeah. you use New Relic before at all? No. Okay, so you've always been a Datadog customer. Yeah. Startups typically are in your camp. Like if you do yeah. kind of expert calls or or talk, knock on doors around this, Datadog has has done really well there. And, and yeah. you can see it in the stock price. Yeah. 
Um, but Twitter? No, you're not a big fan of social media? Oh, no. I love Twitter. Um, they're a big customer. Um, I've been in Twitter for a long time, but one of those hopeful investors, I guess, <laughs> in Twitter. Okay. Um, I think I would short Medallia as a parting thought. Okay. Why? What's the rationale? It just feels like they fight for every inch, you know? Okay. I don't All know right. market pull. Just been watching them for a while. Um, All right. not- I mean, full disclosure, you, you're not shorting any stocks. No, I'm not shorting any. I'm not sophisticated <laughs> enough to be shorting any. Well, look, I'm going to tell I you, uh, I, I am, and I'm not shorting any stocks. You, you get taken out <laughs> to the woodshed these days. So the no. best thing <laughs> in the last 12 months was not shorting, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I'm not in Bitcoin in a big way. And that's like my next big thing. I, I actually like, that's Do what not, I figure don't out. Become, don't become a crypto person. Are you an anarchist, please? <laughs> Um, I don't, I'm very I mean, what, far away. What, what is the world, May, if there isn't governments back in the currency? This it is actually be- the one place where I get a little yeah. sensitive about Twitter is when, I, when my CEO of my largest position starts talking about why he banned the president and then he pivots to talking about cryptocurrency. Yeah, hashtag Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah, it's like, I'm really passionate about crypto and that, you know, it was painful to me to, to take down Donald Trump because decentralized networks it's, i mean what happens if everything is decentralized people get beards like jacks exactly <laughs> chaos <laughs> pure chaos yes. so fun to chat with you guys yeah. all right thank, thank you. you so That's much great. it's, it's been, been, a been a blast totally see you all take, take care. care you guys too thank you for listening to the razor's edge subscribe to this wherever you get your podcasts Hit us up on Twitter at at Daniel Shortman and at Akram's Razor with suggestions, requests, or anything else. We aim to publish this every Tuesday morning and love to hear from you. If you can share this with a friend or leave a review on Apple Podcasts, we'd really be grateful as that will help the podcast grow and improve. This has been a Shortman Studios production. Our theme song is Move On by SoCal. Thank you for listening and see you next week.